Hi, thanks so much for being here. I'm Ashwini Prasad, and I am the host of this podcast, Inclusive Storytelling, that is now in season two. For season two, we're going to focus on those who deserve to have a movie or a mini series made about them. Think Hidden Figures. So my guests will speak about someone they feel that deserve to have a movie or a mini series made about them, including shorts about people. I hope you enjoy this season. Always remember, I am an anti-racism and anti-oppression educator, as well as a screenwriter and a author and a podcast host. So if I can make our media more inclusive with you, please reach out. So thanks again for being here. If you're liking these episodes, feel free to leave a review, download, leave a comment, and share. I can be reached at theinclusivescreenwriter.com and also on Twitter and Instagram at The Inclusive Screenwriter. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Inclusive Storytelling Podcast. I'm your host, Ashwini Prasad, and today I have Moss. Hello, friend. How are you? I'm doing just great today. Thank you for having me. This is, I'm excited to have this today. Yeah, I'm so excited that you're here. So you're going to be, uh, you know, one of the first guests for season two. And as we were talking about earlier, season two is going to be focused in on uh, people that either should have a mini series or a movie made about them. So I'm ex- so excited to hear about who you are thinking about. And, uh, you know, I think at the end of the day, you're somebody who would be considered somebody who knows this character and, and knows uh, enough about him. Uh, so hint, hint, uh, definitely be a writer <laughs> that <laughs> right i'm already plugging you um but love to hear more about you moss and who we're going to be talking about today sure well th- again ashwini thank you so much for having me i think this your podcast is always great and i think you highlight so many good stories that i'm always in- in- intrigued to hear but always just like learning from so i appreciate how the work that you do for this um but yeah my name is masami moria i go by moss for short as an old family name so i i enjoy that that part of me i'm a hollywood career coach to help get people understanding how hollywood works how to get their screenplays seeing the right people but also just in, including their own stories and how to get their unique perspective into uh, into their stories and how to build on a personal branding so that they feel like they understand their own career path for the next five to 10 years. They call this the sensei strategy and becoming the expert at who you are so that no one else, really, you're the expert. No one else can be. Um, so yeah, that's, that's kind of what I do on day to day, but I also run strong Asian Lee, which is my nonprofit to, um, then we've got Asian Americans in entertainment with Asian, Asians, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, whoever you name it. Um, to figure out what the, the issues are and what are we doing about it and have the conversations about um, what we're going to do for the next generation. There's a lot to learn and a lot to share. So I'm excited. To, I've been doing that for almost two years now. And it feels really, I'm coming to 2022 feels incredible. So um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. That's great. And, you know, uh, thank you for giving my flowers. You need your flowers. You're doing all this for the community and you're looking at ways that the AA. PI community right now in North America, but eventually who knows can mm-hmm. come together and be resources for each other. So really appreciate this. I know that you've been working on this so much over the last two years. So you are very much appreciated. Um, Moss is going to give us more information about himself towards the end. So be sure to be following him because he's doing just phenomenal, phenomenal work. All right, my friend, who should we see uh, in a movie or a miniseries about their life? I'm so excited. Well, there's so many people who I could talk about. I think there's a 
there's just myriad people who we don't know about. And I think that's obviously this podcast is a part of that and just highlighting those people. Um, but today I'd like to talk about Noriyuki, who is also known as Pat Morita. Most people don't know that name and don't hear about it. But when I say Mr. Miyagi, they're like, <laughs> yeah, of course, Mr. Oh, Miyagi. Yeah. I know Mr. Miyagi and you know, Arnold from Happy Days. I'm like, yeah, mm -hmm. but why don't you know his name, right? That's the actor. That's the people who who's, he's been in the entertainment industry since like the 60s, you know, he's always been a part of that. And just that's just as a film and film and TV, he was a comedian, uh, stand up comedian before that. Mm. Um, so there's just so much about his life. And I was kind of just refreshing myself today. And just he's so um, charismatic, such a person and like a really good character in itself. But um, so many lessons to learn from him. Everybody really loved who he was. And I also do see myself and my father in him uh, a bit about who my father is about whom my life as a Japanese American person. I think that's why another reason why I, re I connect with that. Mm -hmm. um, but also just, um, you know, part of even just seeing him on screen and seeing him as Mr. Miyagi as one of the first, you know, early films that I watched, it was kind of like, I wish, you know, I wish he was in my life too. He sounds like he's a lot of people's father's figure. And I'm like, yeah, someone who can teach lessons and do that. And so I just think he's, he's someone who can, who had so much more depth than just you see on screen. But then we want to, I would want to see a movie made about him. I don't necessarily see it as, as a series, but um, he's done so much work that we don't know about that's been, yeah. lost, been lost to time that I think he deserves his, yeah. his, his flowers. That would be amazing. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that about your connection. One thing that you noted, you know, when you say Mr. Miyagi, quote unquote, his full name, I think about Ben Kingsley and we, we hear his name, but really his born name is Krishna Pandit Bungie because mm -hmm. he's Anglo Indian. And so and the power of names and the power of identity, I think is so important as we talk about these characters. And like you said, uh, making sure that these histories and who they really are don't get lost so what you know what connected you to pat and remind me how to say his his first name properly though i would like to refer to him in his uh first name his name is nori yuki it's like nori, nori, Shish, yuki. nori yuki but he always went by pat i think he, he actually everybody called him pat and i think he liked that name part of it okay. he would say like anybody who calls me nori yuki is like from someone who knows me before i was 12 years old <laughs> like he just <laughs> knew that so i think he really uh, took on that name because he knew okay. a lot of pats during that time when he took it so pat marina is fine i think people know him as that yeah yeah awesome so what drew you to him and having this conversation about him here today you know uh, i i never met pat but my um my uncle did sob shimono he said he was good friends with him all the time and knew him um he died in 20, 2005, so we don't, I don't ever met him back then. And um, you know what, what drew me to him is that because I kind of, I didn't grow up with him, but you know, we feel like he's always kind of there. We always know Mr. Miyagi, um, that piece. But when I kind of found out more about his life and how just like layered it was, um, it became so much more like, oh, he really overcame a lot. And so when I, what I see in him, and what I see in me is like that resilience and just keep going and still having a um, positive outlook, you know, at least externally, we'll get into it later, but externally it was always a positive outlook to a lot of people. And I just see him as someone who we should know about and that we could, we all feel like we respect him and know about Mr. Miyagi, but we don't know about his character in himself. So, you know, I think it's, it's one of those faces that we can easily see and, and hear and, 
we, I was, you know, I was made fun of as a kid for being Japanese and I was never called like Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan. It was, you know, Miyagi over here. And so just kind of that, kind of that space, like he, but I never saw him as like a stereotype, even though it was written by a white guy and, and did all that. And it was kind of like the comedic relief of that movie. It was still very connected to, to, to me. And it was, I still think it was written very properly um, mm-hmm. and respectfully. And so I think that, um, you know, he, he, he deserves more and I connect to that. I don't know. I think just something connects about him to me. Yeah. And the movie you're referring to, is that the Karate the Kid? Karate or Kid. The, yeah. 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 Mostly it's the Karate Kid. That's, that's the first introduction. I didn't watch Happy Days growing up. Sure. Um, you know, no, nobody knows about O'Hara, which was basically his television show um, mm. with like 20, 30 episodes. And you can only find it in certain places. But, you know, someone, the way I found it, someone ripped it from the TV back in the day. They were, had the good fortune to, uh, and foresight to do that because you can't find it anywhere. Um, oh, wow. And he played a lot of stereotyped characters before. Um, and he was, he was in, he left Happy Days to go to, to do Mr. T and Tina. Uh, which is another they wrote 16 episodes shot 10 uh, aired four and it was canceled and that mm. was it and so you know he was on so many things he worked for so long and then you know he just had when i found out more about his story it was just like ooh, he went through so much that i can relate to in some way or you just know about and understand and yeah. see, see a bit of um trauma in him as we mm. never saw and i think that that made him such more than just a, more than Miyagi, which is a documentary on Amazon Prime that people should watch, is more than Miyagi, and mm-hmm. we'll be. And I'll basically kind of reiterate what what part of that story was, but there was a lot more about him. Uh, he did interviews, like a three-hour interview with the Academy Awards, and so you hear about how he started and how he lived, and yeah, he's yeah. just someone who we should. Yeah, if we have respect for him as a as the one actor, we should see him other things, yeah. and you'll say like, oh yeah, he's always been really good. Yeah. Well, I'm curious and we don't have to delve into trauma at all, but I'm curious in regards to, you know, our, what parts of his life or anything that you really resonated with that you want to talk more about that would be interesting for folks that we know we may not know that would be brilliant for us to bring to a larger audience. Yeah, I think I, didn't, I don't necessarily see his trauma in me. But mm-hmm. I see it in the Japanese American community. Sorry about this uh, backing up truck here. Um, he was a huge alcoholic. He, oh. he, he had been drinking since he was 12. Mm. So, you know, he, they said his, he, he, was, he was an alcoholic. His father was an alcoholic. His grandfather was an alcoholic. His grandfather was making bootleg sake in the, in the incarceration camps during World War II. So there he oh, was yeah. to the lake and they were making booze to keep people alive, you know, just something to do and drink because he couldn't bring it in and he they had kids he was like 12 years old and he had nothing else to do so he mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but he drank every day and mm-hmm. i see that i don't my dad my dad's not an alcoholic or anything but he does drink and it's like what are you like what are you hiding you know and mm-hmm. what are you what are you trying to repress what are you trying to shy away from and you know I, people say it's really it's really hard you know a lot of band, abandonment issues and i have a lot of abandonment issues myself like people leaving me or not, I don't, maybe it's my own pers- perspective or my own pr- rejections on people, but mm-hmm. you know, feeling that I could see that, um, a lot of people did that. And a lot of people drank after the camps. And so right. it was, I see that in a lot of my community and I just like, Hmm, that's 
really difficult. And I would hope that if a movie was made, it would be kind of tied in with like uh, an AA program or mm. trying to see like people who would mm-hmm. um, benefit from learning from, you know, his mistakes and, and, and things that he could have done better with his life, but also just internal emotional turmoil and see what, yeah. how you hide it like that. Right. Especially since, you know, coming to an internment camp, growing up in it, being a child in that environment. And was he an alcoholic till the, till he passed away? So it was yeah, a lifelong yeah. Yeah, infliction. And, he got, and he got worse after his uh, father was hit by a truck and dragged, you know, for like a couple miles. Cause got, I guess he said they, his pant leg got stuck or something. So it was like a slow, horrible death. And it just exacerbated the problem of him just drinking more and it, it affected his work. And he said, his, uh, they said his manager, Arnie, um, like said, you're unemployable because you're mm. not, not showing up on time and you mm. drunk. And they said, they, they'd say, you never smell it on him. And you, mm. you always, always knew his lines, but right. you, know, you had to watch him because otherwise he might drink himself into a, in his trailer uh, yeah. for whatever reason. And so right very much a human condition you know this is something that um you're right like i i did watch happy days i have vague memories of the show (laughs) and so i have vague memories of pat's character in happy days and i grew up on the karate kid and so i have watched those movies numerous times and they used to show up on like cable tv so i grew up on watching those and you'd catch it at the beginning or i'd catch it with just 30 minutes left but I'm like, oh, yeah, that's what happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's the fight scene. And he was, you know, he's like the staple. He was that driver. But I, I, I appreciate what you're saying because this brings not just a character that could happen or the mindset that people have about this where you might have heard like um, people are like, yeah, we don't necessarily just need Asians to be Kung Fu fighters. Like the, I think it was Simu Lee. That's not all we need to see Asians or Southeast Asians or East Asians being. Uh, but Pat brought that to us. Right. And and I agree. And I think in beautiful ways, I remember, I remember there was a scene in one of the Karate Kid movies and uh, it's very stereotypical, but I think for representation, he's taking care of a bonsai tree. And I, they probably did the best that they could, but it's important, right? Like that was a character and it's important to tell this very human story of who he was as a person. So thank you. I, you know, in terms of education, I didn't realize that uh, Pat was an alcoholic uh, uh, from 12 to his death. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't. And and he probably didn't show it until later on and, and do that. You know, it's not a thing you promote that all the time, but if people don't want it, that's a shameful thing to talk about. But mm-hmm. I think that's something that, you know, we don't talk about that much. I think Chris Farley had the same types of problems. And so did John Belushi, mm-hmm. um, you know, Richard Pryor, all these people, they, they hide something. And, and he was a comedian, right? You, you see a lot of his shows and his movies, he's pretty fairly serious, but also funny. You know, he's, yeah. like half, he's, like, he's serious until it becomes funny. Yeah. Um, and he's like that. And he was, he said he was always making jokes and stuff like that mm-hmm. all the time. Um, but he was the first, he was a stand-up comedian. And, and another thing to, to, he did too was, um, that wasn't his first job. That wasn't his first uh, career. It was, uh, he actually, after the camps, he was going to high school, he tried to move. He went, it was applied for college. And then his mother came in and said, mm, sorry, you have to come home and take care of the restaurant. I'm like, Oh, oh Wow did so he busted tables he didn't want it of course and he said you can go to community college and you know he had to go some uh, some other place 
that really, you know, it ripped up his life again. So if we go really far back, um, you know, when he, he didn't, his mother gave him away to his aunt. So he didn't even have, um, his mother gave him away. He didn't, wasn't wanted. Uh, so he grew up with his aunt. And then when he was two, he like fell off a chair, uh, trying to crank, uh, um, you know, one of those record players things. And, yeah. um, he, he hit his spine and he got, he got, uh, to, tuberculosis of the spine uh so i forgot what the actual disease was sure because uh, tuberculosis at the same time and he couldn't walk he couldn't mm. walk for like the next 10 years uh nine to ten years and he was he went to the, then he was aunt gave him away to the hospital because he couldn't like he had to be taken care of and rehabilitated and they didn't think he was going to live they thought he was oh, going to wow. die at that time and even they said even if you do live you're going to die like you're not going to be able to walk mm-hmm. Right. And so um, I think there is very thankful that uh, penicillin had come just about that same time. Mm-hmm. And so when he finally got better and learned how to walk, the FBI picked him up and took him to camp. <laughs> like, wow. rough, right? You're not Did even I... going, you're going, <laughs> get let's your freedom. <laughs> let's recap, right? He's born. His mother, uh, for whatever reason, cannot take care of him gives him to an aunt he grows to he's two and i'm sure he was playing around being a two-year-old ends up getting a spinal injury and tuberculosis so he doesn't walk for almost 10 years and then as soon as he is uh gets his freedom and he's recovering even though his aunt now has put him in a hospital he is now interned like Mm -hmm. that that's that's a lot to happen to a 12 year old right yeah and so then he's there for the next four or five years um, you know trying to learn with his new family and mm-hmm. he doesn't speak japanese right mm. he never spoke japanese parents are trying to speak japanese and talk to him and stuff is like i don't know he's been living yeah. he's been living in the hospital since he was two right and you know white hospital right. like he doesn't he just won't know it so that's rough. He's, you know, barely have a family. And now you're living with your, his original mother. He's not even mm-hmm. his aunt, his original mm-hmm. mother. So it's like, which family do you have? Yeah. She said he's, yeah. I felt he was crying when he got to camp because now he left his family at the hospital because that's where he oh. Right. Wow. So that ugh. makes sense. His formative years. I mean, two to 12, that's who he was constantly around. It was people in the hospital. So that makes mm-hmm. sense. So he ends up being 12 years old in an internment camp. And then he's now with his biological family. Mm-hmm. And he gets, yeah. yeah, from what we know. So his mom and dad, who now are also trying to survive. And then we go into survival mode with a 12 year old drinking that lasts mm-hmm. for so long. Um, gosh, I mean, ta- I mean, it's not like I want to delve into like the horrors about it. But I mean, this is an important story to tell. It's a very human story. And you mentioned all these other actors and comedians that went through the same thing. And if I recall, uh, Pat's role in Happy Days, it was comedic. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was very stereotypical. But from what I remember about that show, there was like laugh tracks and there was, or maybe it was done in front of a studio audience. So I can see his transition uh, in regards to, you know, when he was an adult and when he was allowed to uh, move in, um, he did Happy Days. But it's interesting. Another new note, I didn't realize he was a stand-up comedian. And I would yeah. imagine this would be a time where uh, Japanese stand-up comedians, uh, even today, I don't see enough of them. So mm-hmm. I'm curious, yeah, when did that start and how did that kind of go for him? 
Yeah, that started after. So after the restaurant, he did go to a college. No, he didn't even get to college. Um, he started working at a, an Air Force base, an aerospace in Sacramento, which I actually think because my uncle did know him. I'm starting to think that my grandfather probably knew him too because his mm. grandfather was also in aerospace. Uh, he went to school or the work briefly um, and he didn't know anything because he was a high school grad. He didn't go to college. Right, right. So someone actually came in to help him teach teach like the binary and, and mathematics and because then one day it just clicked and he mm -hmm. got it but then um they saw that he was more of a people person than it was like a mathematician so he actually moved up higher in as management um management position to manage other people doing their work making sure they're getting their schedules and vacation times and all that kind of stuff so he became that person and then he said um they wanted to promote him and mm -hmm. he was like okay if i'm going to be promoted i have to go back to school and go to college. Do I really want to go to college for the next four to eight years to do this? To then what? Go to get a five hundred dollar raise when he when he's sixty, right? Not, right. It like, doesn't sound great at all. So it's like he tried to figure out what does he want to do, and he came back. Always came back to being in show business, mm. and so. He would take, they would go to each campuses and try to get more recruits. And he said he would always get the longest time, time slot. So it was like four hours or five hours. And then he would go there. Here's my phone number. <laughs> Call me when you need me. And he would go to the bar or the comic show and watch them and see how they did. Um, wow. Kind of learn what people were doing. And then he lied his way into getting his own show, getting like, on stage. Like, yeah, I've been to the, the Dragon Air in San Francisco and the, the Silver silver Linings in Oakland. Like, you just say it. And he was at a Tokyo uh, Japanese themed uh, com comedy show and he got his spot. And sure. Pretty funny. He would go. Um, yeah. They said, well, we'll sign you for a couple weekends. And that couple weekends turned to 17 months. And so somebody eventually saw him and said, Hey, you should come with me and come to the thing. And he, he met, he met somebody, um, I'm getting the name. I could pull her up, but it was mm -hmm. an agent of one, another famous actor. And he's like, I'm not a, I don't do slander. I don't do uh, jokes like that. But like you're the only one who does jokes about the war and that's funny. And so and oh. you're, the only, you're the one who can do it. So I think that's great. And so, um, yeah, they pitched him and that kind of stuff and moved from there. And he became like television and stand up and put on, um a place he said his goal was to get on to like i think it was the carson carson show mm -hmm. in the next five years i think that was maybe the show at the time yeah and he said in, in four years he got to the hollywood palace and mm. that was like number two and he's like okay okay i'm here and so wow wow yeah he, he made that for himself and quit his mathematics job you know right right uh and a lot of folks have that story where they're like yeah i was doing this to make ends meet for my family and then different, different things come up where it's like that choice. You come to that fork in the road and that choice. What I love about what you were saying is that, you know, he goes to a place for drinks. Um, and then he says, yeah, I've been there. I mean, it's true. He's not lying. He's been to these different, uh, comedy places. Right. Uh, and if no one's going to dig in deeper in regards to what he was doing there, it's accurate. <laughs> Oh, they were fake bars. They weren't real names. Oh <laughs> That's even gosh. better, right? That is even never better. Find out. Oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. He's you know, funny. 
you know, when I talk to, I don't follow this, but I do, this even happens in people I talk to in Hollywood, even today, they're like, uh, I lie. And I'm like, I'm not comfortable with it. Me neither. I'm not, I don't do that. But it is interesting um, where uh, these different lies actually got people <laughs> into mm-hmm. different situations. And it worked out for him, you know, it worked out for, for Pat. So, yeah, I mean, what a history, right? Um, mm-hmm. Overcoming uh, not being able to walk, uh, different issues with abandonment with his family, and then rejoining his family, being told not to go to college because you have to be the dutiful son and take care yeah, of the family definitely. business. And then he ends up with this job, but then he comes to this crossroads and it's like, okay, what are we, what are we going to do next? And he chooses this calling around entertainment. And uh, it's great that you told me about the stand-up because I did not know about that. Now, do you know if he was like, was he, it seems like he was really good at it because he got called back for 17 months. Uh, yeah, he knew how to put on a show and that's kind of mm. the way he got him. He learned the writing process, but he never, he never wrote his jokes. It was always somebody else's jokes. <laughs> it was like, it was one of those like courses <laughs> that you just, you just take and hear the, hear the, hear the structure of it. And he would just replace names and stuff like that. But he knew how to, to deliver it. Mm. And so, and that's what he kind of built. I'm sure he brought in the war stuff, but you know, if it's said something like Billy Joe did, he'd say, you know, uncle, uncle Takahashi, you know, he would say, <laughs> say it like that and you, you build a different story around it. And so yeah, uh, uh, stuff God. like that, and, you know, he take the structure yeah. of it and build it. So got it, uh, got it. yeah, he just knew how to be with people. I think that's, you made people feel comfortable and warmed, welcomed. And so that's mm. probably what did, did the best thing. And then mm-hmm. people got to um, know him a lot more. And, you know, I, I feel like that warmth <clears throat> really came through. Like when I think about the times I've seen him on screen, uh, there was always like almost like a familiarity with him and a like somebody you would want to go have a drink with or a meal with, that there was something that just transcended the screen. And, you know, it's it's always nice to hear when that connects in real life as well, because there's people who act and you've, mm. you know, we've seen enough times where what how they are on screen is a facade compared to who they are in real life. And, you know, that time where people will say, um, don't meet your heroes, but mm. it seems like Pat was somebody that you can meet and he, seemed like a really wonderful person who definitely persevered for for so many years and for a very long time. And it seems like after that and his success and people feeling like he was approachable, it ended up uh, with him being um, in TVs and movies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And people just loved having him around all the time. They'd find roles for him. Sometimes it'd work out. A lot of times it didn't uh, like any actor, but they, you Mm -hmm. know, for happy days, he didn't have to audition for it. And he came in uh, season three. He was season yeah. three, four, six, ten, and eleven. He wasn't oh. always there, <laughs> but people think he's always there. He just right, recurring right. actor. Uh, yeah. And it was actually one episode. I'm trying to find it and watch it right now. But mm-hmm. it was one episode where they brought in like a whole Japanese cast and people, mm-hmm. and, and were celebrated the Japanese culture. And he's like, "This is the first time national broadcast of feeling like I'm playing myself." And okay, so really cool um, tidbit about like, even what's talking about now. They tried to cancel him. They tried to cancel him. The character was originally Chinese, right? Oh. He played a Chinese accent. He's a Japanese yeah. person. Like, okay, well, it's like the seventies, eighties, and the, the activists were trying to like, okay, you need to play authentic characters. I and mean, we, you're you're Jap- Chinese. <laughs> you're a Chinese actor or character, and with a Japanese person, we gotta let you go. He's like, but I'm Arnold. I'm the only mm-hmm. Arnold you're gonna get. Like, we have to do it. Like, 
no, 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 wait. And he, so he, he lied, almost he creatively put himself to keep going. So he said, no, but we, he doesn't have a last name. He doesn't, Arnold's just Arnold right now. Let's give him mm. Takahashi, right? Arnold Takahashi, give him last name. Like, but why does he speak with a Chinese accent? It doesn't make any sense. Like, no, wait, but in the war, his, his mother was in Indochina. Then he right. came over to Missouri. That's why I know his English because he was in China and that's how he got yeah. the accent. And then he just yeah. lied his way into like, okay, I buy it. <laughs> and so he's like, oh, I saved myself. And so, you know, he could have not had those parts. Um, but I think, yeah. that was, I think that's his creative, in, you know, improv coming in and saying, like, yeah. I'm going to save myself yes. uh, this job as well. But yeah, and stuff like that. And it's sad that he even had to do it, but I will give him 100% props for doing <laughs> that. I mean, he essentially created his character backstory, yeah. right? I mean, that's phenomenal. I mean, Talon wishes they could write <laughs> their characters, <laughs> but, you know, he took a moment of adversity, which again was unfounded. It should have never had to happen like that. But this is at least a success story in terms of what he was able to do. And like you said, I, and it's funny, you know, like you said, if I feel like he was there for all the seasons, but it's interesting that he was there in so many different intervals. That's fascinating, but it, it's a calling to him and what the images I have of him and him being really mm -hmm. funny. And, and I think that, I don't think that happy days did service to him as a person or Japanese culture, but for that time to have a character like that, was it was a revolutionary unfortunately and we've talked a lot just you and i and other folks that we're connected with about the horrible stereotypes uh that are that are present there and so that is i think that's something that we just have to acknowledge right and making sure that we don't do but i think it's an interesting uh conversation about how pat had to survive in hollywood at that time and the things that he was doing which i think is uh exactly what you said his creativity and his next steps that is really phenomenal and that is something i definitely want to learn more about and i would love to see that i would love to see a montage of things that he's doing or even the dialogue that you just had of how he's essentially building this character just to mm -hmm. see him work like that and have somebody today show that with some really great writing gosh that'd be so phenomenal yeah. and it's an, yeah. uh, for me it's a little inspiring as well well he did so much and then we we recognize his face and, and have him just in our brains, even just in the one, basically one or two roles, right? Yeah. But he almost didn't get the Karate Kid. They, tell, the us, producer, tell us more. Tell us more. The producer didn't want him because he was Arnold. He was the comic mm. relief. He wasn't that mm -hmm. guy. And mm -hmm. so um, he went in for a couple of, but his producers knew, like his, his manager and his agents are like, you need to be this part. So he kept reading and then I guess he went in like six times, went by himself for a self-tape, second time with Ralph Macchio, and he one with the costume, one with props, one, and he kept going, and the producer finally saw him like, who is that guy? Who is, that's, that's Miyagi. Who is, that's the Pat Morita you didn't want. And so, <laughs> and he's like, I'm sorry, you almost lost this role because I said no. I want to be the first to thank you and, and say you got the role. Wow. Got that role, did the whole part. They didn't know what they were doing. They were hope, you know, hope that it did well. A lot of people, even some of the other managers, are saying like, "There's no market for this." But like, mm. once it hit, you knew it was mm. a big role, a cultural phenomenon. All the judo and karate places like blew up after mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. It's a whole montage of white people in their in their yeah. judo classes. And then yeah. he got a nomination, uh, Emmy uh, uh, Academy Award nomination for that role. Right? Yeah. So oh, I believe it. 
I believe it. He did that. Well, and think about it. I mean, if I remember correctly, and other people can um, remind me, but I think one with, is it Ralph Macchio was three. I think it was two or three with that grouping of Macchio and and Pat. And then I think there was a couple other spinoffs. And then even today, there's Cobra Kai. So, and I know, I know, I'm not (laughs) saying it's good. I'm just saying the cultural significance of this, of those movies is, is huge. And I do kind of half laugh at, at him being kind of the sensei, but then it was very whitewashed. Like those movies, no matter how big they were, they were very whitewashed. Um, But it is very interesting. Pretty, I'd say pretty whitewashed, but at the same time, like, also pretty representative of the Japanese American community. Like, yeah, he was how the guy so? And, you know, they had the bonsai tree store in the later, in later series. He did go back to Okinawa. So we also have to recommend he was Okinawan American. He wasn't necessarily Japanese as Okinawa is not, is uh, occupied by Japan. Right. And so there's all that story. When they go to uh, Japan in, in the second, second episode, pretty, I don't know how accurate it is, but felt pretty right to me and felt right to others. It wasn't like, it was a pretty diverse, it was mostly Japanese in that whole, the whole movie that time. Mm-hmm. And so they, they took it in part. Yeah, it was called, of course, it was like gangs and stuff like that. But you know what? They still talked about the war and said, this used to be my village. Now it's a military base. Like, mm-hmm. Those kinds of things did pretty well. And, you know, we all know, um, uh, oh, no, I'm forgetting his name. His name was uh, Chosen, Chosen on, on the show. And his name um, escaped me right now. But you know, the bad guy, he was just there and he's, awesome and you kind of like oh you're rooting for him but he's also still funny still the same places um mm-hmm. you know that toy he, he rubs he rubs in his hand and the little drum thing like i know those toys and so mm. they were still there and it was because it was not so japanese it's japanese american or okinawan american it was still there's still places but he he's funny he has those warm spaces and it, it didn't ever feel it still doesn't ever feel uh appropriated because mm. uh, you know is is he can still teach other people yeah on another Asian student. I'm an Asian student who took karate and martial arts, but that's fine. They didn't know, right? Those are the spaces. And he, mm-hmm. Ralph Macho was an Italian kid. He's just trying to learn the stuff. And yep. Do yep. that. So uh, I never felt it was ever appropriated in, until Cobra Kai. So because uh, <laughs> right. sure. now it's just all white people in that show. And I'm like, yeah. okay, you really could have had an Asian kid, you know, play yeah. one, of the, one of the leads because I was, yes. I was taught by a white person. Yeah. Um, and like yeah. that in, in California, it would totally be fine right there. Oh, so, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I always just kind of wanted to see more representation, even in the movies. And then I, Cobra Kai is a whole other conversation, which we need, we need to have different voices in that. And I agree. I mean, there's so many different people that take different types of martial arts that now are attracted to it because of these, the movies and the TV shows, but how we show it on screen, we need to do that purposefully and respectfully. And that, and that's not going to come from me. That's going to come from people in the culture and, and, you know, people who knew Pat and what, what, what that could look like or other people who worked on uh, the movies and having, getting that input, I think is crucial. Um, So thank you for that education about uh, what you're saying uh, in regards to um, that representation. And it seems like they were also trying to tackle like a history lesson as sensitively as they could in the movies as well, given Pat's character and the Karate Kid movies. Yeah, and they built a good backstory for him, right? So if you remember in the first uh, first uh, Karate Kid, you know, 
he had that drunk scene and because his wife mm-hmm. and his child died in labor and because he, he was in the 442nd over in Italy and mm-hmm. in the camps, they actually added that in. So it made sense. Now his age was a little off, um, but at the same time, like that yeah. made a lot of sense. And <clears throat> he had a whole backstory in the second, second, second uh, sequel. Like that made, it was very, a lot about him wasn't always about Ralph Macchio. So yeah. Daniel son. So it was always there. They did a good, yeah. I think they still did a good job with that and it res- paid it respectfully. I think that's how it could be done. I don't know yeah. if there are any consultants, but it, yeah. it, I think they did a good job. Now I will say one last one thing on the karate kid too, is, um, you know, they made the karate kid, but they also did a karate kid with Jackie Chan. That's Chinese. It's going to be Kung Fu kid. Yeah. <laughs> like right. that, right? It's like right. karate. So right. it's like, okay, they made more movies, but then they kind of like a, that means a little yeah. kid, but you know, yeah, it's always um, a yeah. conversation, but yeah, he did all those. And, um, he did, he, he still did a lot afterwards. Um, yeah. not always martial arts, which I think is also mm-hmm. great because he mm-hmm. pigeon home into that. Yeah. Um, but you know, he got his, um, he's got his walk of fame star in 1994. And right. remember how many Asians get those stars. It's not yeah. very easy. And you're right. You know, it's one of these things that you kind of have these major roles. And I do remember uh, Pat's character in the Karate Kid series. Again, the warmth came up. And I remember thinking about the different representation that was there. Like it was it was there. I, I don't I don't know how accurate or like how much I would buy into that it was uh, a whole bunch of consultants came in. I have no idea. I'm hoping so, right? But I do remember the warmth and I do remember seeing different parts of Japanese culture, which I appreciate it throughout. Uh, and I have no problem with him teaching, um, you know, Danielson. It's like, but let's have the full picture as much as we can. And, and also thinking about the different people that are gonna be attracted to uh, this type of martial arts um, everywhere. And telling that story I think is huge, but you're, I'm spot on you know the two two things that come to mind is his time in happy days and those movies but like you're saying he had a really long career that went past just the tvs and movies it's got stand-up and then he had a star and so are you familiar then with what he kind of did after uh he kind of i felt like either he aged out or hollywood made him age out of the movies you know what did he do in his later years uh well if we go back a little bit, I mean, those weren't her, his first two things, right? He did a ton of different shows mm-hmm. uh, before that, you know, Bloodsport. I'm looking at his IMDb now. And she's got yeah. so, so much in the 80s, 83, 79, 76, 72. Mm-hmm. Like all these from this. 1964 was his first. And 1967 was his first movie. Mm. Um, and so that just goes, he's been doing it for a, a long, long time. Afterwards, um, he obviously did the sequels, but he did age out a little bit. It was harder to get there, um, but he's also, again, he was getting more drunk. And so mm, um, right. hard to keep right. up with the roles, the energy uh, is getting, it's just tiresome. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, hard, hard to keep up with that and did some voiceover roles. I mean, he was in Mulan, right? Yeah. Um, he was right. the emperor. And so you have those, those spaces and he would always do the cameos. Um, yeah. The cameos I think just, he did a lot. did yeah. a ton of cameos, a lot of times for, um, just for the money and to keep into work. Mm-hmm. He, he had a first first marriage and he had a child to support. So he had a lot of alimony and that's a lot of where his money went, that and alcohol, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't like rich or famous. And then he later in later around down the line, his house um, got flooded with mud. There was a huge rainstorm in uh, Tarzana. Oh no. And so he didn't have an insured. So everybody came in to help. And so again, another 
big milestone of just like losing everything. Um, yeah, so right. we had a lot of that struggles and then it, the drinking became really bad. There's actually um, part of the documentary. So he came back for a happy days reunion and he came up late and just wasted and just not mm. good and couldn't mm -hmm. do anything. He's like, take the picture and that was it. I think it was supposed to be like a reunion show, an episode and right. he didn't show up and he came up afterwards just for the picture and you're like, okay, you're going home. And oh, I came wow. out to a taxi. Yeah. Really sad, really sad. And that's why I'm like, and then he said at the end, he was, um, he was with his wife and it was really hard. He's like, you got to stop drinking. He's like, couldn't. He's like, I'm just going to go. And he went to rehab. He's like, I'm just going to go to die. Like, mm -hmm. no I can't, he's like, I can't watch you do this. He's like, fine, then I'm just going to go. Mm -hmm. and that's what he did. He just kind of disappeared and died. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's a sad ending kind of movie, but like, you right. know, what could that it's a, it's a like kind of a lesson and kind of seeing like, how do you, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with those demons? And, mm -hmm. and what are you going to do? And do you want to end up doing that to your family and your friends and mm -hmm. you know, showing that even though you could be famous or have those good roles and have that, but doesn't, does it matter? Does yeah. It really, you know, does it really right. make a difference if you're not right. healthy within yourself? Yeah. Yeah. And what is success? What does that look like? How can it be defined? And I think what's like so powerful is everything that we've been talking about almost for half an hour now mm -hmm. is the humanity, right? He, it's a human being and everything that he kind of did to get to where he was. And it, the ending is not going to be a feel good, uh, but it is the truth. And I think that's, what's so important because you're right. There's so many other people we could talk about that have very similar pads in terms of what happened to him after they found fame. And I was mm -hmm. reading up a little bit about him too. And, uh, he, he, he had a, two wives and, um, you know, it kind of makes me wonder what that meant and what mm. that meant for, for him and the impetus for the first marriage, not moving towards uh, a lifelong commitment, which is fine. There's no judgment on that. But I wonder if alcoholism, you know, had a role in, uh, in that relationship. And what was interesting, and by no means do I consider this publication a standard for anything uh, or even body positivity or sex positivity, but I was reading that his second wife was the first Latina uh, in Playboy, which mm. I thought was like interesting so it is it is interesting um the choices that we make and i think that's what makes a really powerful story about him and everything that we talked about uh growing up the adversity uh the setbacks the lack of support from family throughout his life and then this pivotal choice which led to all these different decisions and how you know, I think to get a full picture of somebody, we need to know these uh, things about him and then make up our own decisions about what we think about him versus just, like you said, two moments in his life that were crucial, but just two moments in his life versus the complete uh, completeness of who he was as a person and what he offered the world. Yeah. And he got married very early. He was 20 when he got that first marriage, mm. um, met somebody. And I think that, you know, it's early too. Sure. Sure get, get life yes. started. So yeah, yeah it's a, uh, we can awesome. only conjecture who knows mm -hmm. what, what, everything that was happening in his personal life, unless he told, uh, you know, decided to share it. Yeah. yeah. And he shared, you know, he would share about his career a lot. Um, 
in this couple of other interviews this is a three-hour interview on the academy awards yeah. uh, this website and i'm still going kind of going through but i think that's incredible in itself but yeah you know it's, it's you know, sometimes it's what we see of what we see on stage and uh, on in the media is just what we see it's like what they want us to see it's just like social media today mm-hmm. and so you know it's all just back in the day but i think it's just something to just look at his life you look at robin williams he did the same kind mm-hmm. of kind of deal and you know mm-hmm. i don't know if he was a alcoholic i don't remember him doing that but sad it was still a sad ending i'm sure it still will be um, absolutely the truth and you start to learn about depression and how it shows up in actors and com- especially comedians because they're yes repressing that and yes. so yeah i think it's just um yeah I, I just i connected even with him as a little bit as he, as much as he's totally different generation and um all these things that are i've never met him or anything it just feels like that's just someone i think not only should we can learn a lot of lessons from but we would also want to enjoy watching and see a, a pat morita type character become mm-hmm. that and uh how he presented himself on stage and you know, on talk shows and um becoming there and then just having a whole in-depth lifestyle outside of the entertainment industry that yes is, is yes. so rough um, yeah and that's what intrigues me right is telling these stories of different people um of, of their lives and wh- what they've done to have what we would call success in hollywood mm-hmm. whatever that is defined as but pat is somebody that's definitely a staple people are always talking about him i mean at least a couple times a year i'll hear the wax on wax off <laughs> for whatever it's worth um and even throughout so many decades now, gosh, what it's been four decades now, 40 years of this type of, whether it's memes or sayings that stem from his work and, and they're par- still part of our popular culture, even though we may not, some of us may not know the origins, um, his contributions still continue on when we think about him. So I appreciate you so much sharing and teaching me about this wonderful person that I agree. I would love to see a story about Pat's and his his beginnings and what that really meant and that perseverance. And I wonder if comedy and that type of, uh, like you said, that repression, like maybe that's his, it was his outlet to be funny. Right, that mm-hmm. was his way to to connect with people, and that's what led him because of what was happening to him up until he was well, he passed twelve years old. But definitely when he was very young and living in the hospital, I can imagine maybe he was maybe told right laughter or uh, this is how we'll get through it. Who knows? Mm-hmm. And maybe that was the beginnings. Well, well, I, the way I kind of see it, um, coming from like the abandonment issues issue, yeah. Um, yeah. is that when you are abandoned so much and so often that you feel mm-hmm. like something's must, must must be doing something wrong or mm-hmm. something about me that they don't like about me. So you, mm-hmm. you overemphasize on how to get people to like you, listen yeah. to you, enjoy your presence. So you have to overdo it. And mm-hmm. maybe it's part of the drinking to help them help him just come over, overcome his own internal struggle to be a funny person, to be mm-hmm. likable and to be doing those things. So, you know, it's hard to, but it's hard to deal with that if you're always repressing it with drugs or alcohol. Sure. And so I think sure. you never have to get that part of it, but that's, you know, to, cause I think I had to do that before, um, a long time ago, it was just like always having to be on and be, mm. feel like I have to mm-hmm. like Im- impress or be a source of entertainment mm. instead of just not having to do that. I don't have to do that for somebody else. Right. And so, 
Right. And I, I, it's how I see, like, maybe that's what he was going through. And again, like being Japanese American, I can kind of see that how other people will try to do that, or they'll either be quiet and shy and reserved. Mm. It's kind of like a Japanese cultural culture thing or you have to be extra just because you don't mm. want to be that and mm. so I made a point I didn't want to be that and now mm-hmm. I'm still not that. I'm still you know allowed and outspoken but mm-hmm. for another reason for more yeah. passionate reason instead of like you need to like me and that sure. becomes sure. I think that's I see that that's probably a reason why because I do see a lot of um, resonance with other books and people that I've read about um, who had similar things they had to drink their problems away and mm-hmm. um Mm-hmm. I don't remember if my family, I don't think anyone was an alcoholic, but they would, you know, push it down. Um, there's definitely good stories. Another book on my shelf that there is Yokohama, Yokohama, California. You talk about this old, this old sensei. And I think this is how I would kind of pitch it too, um, in type of ways that there's a story in Yokohama and I don't know how real it is, but I'm sure it's based off of a person they met. They're driving through Vegas and they see this old, old Japanese dude. And he's like, that's my old sensei from camp. Mm. He used to teach us. He used to teach us the karate stuff and mm-hmm. keep us informed. But now mm. he's old and he doesn't remember me. And he's he looks pretty homeless and wasted and just withering away. Like oh, mm-hmm. it's so so rough. Like you know, it's you just you see that and you see that in other Japanese Americans who come out of the war like that because they they know they were left without any, uh, um, a country. They were abandoned mm-hmm. by their country. Mm-hmm. They're not not one of us anymore. So I had to see. I see that in a lot of Japanese Americans and I see that in him. He's like an embodiment of that mm-hmm. for a mm-hmm. lot of the time. So yeah, I think that's, um, he just, he, I feel like he's a good, he's a good real representation of the Japanese American community. That's, that could be the dark, a little bit of the darker side of what we, yeah. uh, our community goes through sometimes. And I think it's uh, getting out of the characters and the stereotypes and showing the many facets of of a culture because that's exactly what it is right we're not a monolith and also showing this very human aspect of i mean i consider him an icon what he did um definitely with the karate kid movies is iconic it's absolutely iconic i remember every time those movies came out and the amount of uh, times i've seen karate kid and it's not even i have to go and look for it it would you know i i came from cable television days network days before streaming before dvds and the amount of times that you could turn on the tv and some station would be playing one of those movies it, it's a testament one to the movies and also to this character that um, is now 40 plus years strong and still going and mm-hmm. and his influence in this industry is, is definitely still there. And so I was going to uh, ask you my, one of my questions, like, how would you pitch, uh, you know, pitch this story? But it seems like you kind of mentioned a little bit about uh, the realness, right? What could we do to really show this character? And it is very timely because we do need to have these stories that are based in humanity and in truths. And I think it's important for us to showcase, like I just read recently, we'll see what happens, uh, Fred Astaire and Gene Kelly are supposed to come back to the screens. Well, mm-hmm. I would like to see Pat as well. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, and, I'll, and I hope that he would want it. Like Fred Astaire apparently didn't want him to ever, he did not want a movie to be made about him or anything. That was actually one part of his wishes. Um, and so if it's not a situation like that, and Pat would want to be memorialized that, I, I love this. I think it's a, it's a great story. And the amount of interest that would be there uh, is huge. I know I'd go see it. That's for sure. 
Yeah, it's because he is that, you know, iconic character. I see him in GIFs all the time and I still use him. It's like, it's a timeless movie that yeah. still holds up for all these different reasons. And, mm. but we only know him for that one thing. And he's got right. so much. I just feel like, you know, are there, are there other actors in Hollywood who maybe deserve a movie or even like an ensemble movie of different things? Like I know they're making that, yeah. um, uh, I think it's interior Chinatown, the actors in Hollywood mm. in the 30s and stuff like that. And I'm reading Hollywood Asian with Philip Ahn and you mm-hmm. look at Philip Ahn's work and, you know, out of a hundred movies that he'd done, only five of them were being him being Korean. A lot of times he was either the Chinese ally or mm. the Japanese enemy, especially during World War II. And that's where perpetual stereotypes come from, mm-hmm. from those things. But you see, Mr. Um, you see Pat Morita just kind of take some of it, but don't take all of it. And I never see him. He's always kind of in those roles. And he might be the karate master, kung fu guy. And he's used a, a lot of for commercials and stuff like that all the time. But at the same time, like, yeah, that was kind of his character. And he's kind of cool with that. And we saw him always like that. And we would take that character in. And you mm-hmm. want that kind of teacher who is going to pay you respect, but also teach you a lesson that you might not even see coming. <laughs> so oh, I think, gosh. Um, I feel yeah. like that was the main premise. Besides the action, that was the main premise of those uh, of the movies that, uh, that Pat was part of in the Karate Kid series. That was, that was exactly what he was te- teaching Danielson, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think it's about that humanity and, and showing adversity. I For me, I feel it's so important when I uh, hear about different talent and everything they've gone through, even from like having, you know, 23 cents in their bank account. And now it's like, now they get the big paychecks like I like to hear about their backgrounds and where they are and especially iconic characters um, that have done so much and even obscure ones that just have a fascinating backstory Mm -hmm. I know that there would be interest in this so I appreciate you sharing and teaching me about this wonderful person that I essentially grew up with and so I am wholeheartedly there with you I would love to see a movie about him and I think for those that are listening hey Moss is here. He's got the info <laughs> and he's a screenwriter as well. I'm just plugging that right there. So oh, uh, thank you so much, Moss, uh, for our guests and our listeners. Where can they find you and connect with you? Well, first, thank you for having me and thank you for teaching other people about, you know, Pat Marina, but also the other other great people who should have their stories. So thank you for all of that work. It's a lot of, a lot of energy. So thanks. Yeah, thank you um, for being yeah, here. <laughs> you can find me uh, on Instagram as Moss Moria, M-A-S-M-O-R-I-Y-A, uh, or anything on Strong Asian Lead. Um, everything's, I think the only thing that's different is Instagram has the underscore. <laughs> the other one, you'll just see the other one. It'll be nothing. Um, but all my other channels, uh, Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff is Moss Moria. Um, you'll see him as Masami. And, you know, if you're going on DSO and doing the crypto stuff, Moss Moria there too. Um, <laughs> yeah, we're trying to find that way. And yeah, I hope to, people want to connect with me in different ways and help them see what we're working on and how we can help uh, the community. I'd be love to love to chat and see what we can help do. Yeah, and anybody who wants to be an advocate and an ally, we welcome you as well. Moss, mm-hmm. my friend, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate you. Thanks, Ashwini. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>